Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. On today's broadcast, John continues his message, The Problem and Possible Upside of Human Suffering. We start with John discussing Romans 8:28, which tells us that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. The good talked about in Romans 8:28 is defined in Romans 8, 29. Look at verse 29. For whom he foreknew, God knew us before we were born. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The good that God wants to bring into all of our lives when we go through difficulty is that through that difficulty, we would become more like Christ. Christ-likeness. That is, if somebody says, what is spiritual maturity? It's Christ-likeness. What is the purpose of discipleship? Christ-likeness. What's the purpose of coming to church, opening our Bibles, studying what God says so we'll be more like Christ? Now, here's the question. What does it mean to be Christ-like? Does it mean if Jesus is six feet tall, we all need to be six feet tall? Or if Jesus had long brown hair, then we all need to have long... Or if Jesus had brown eyes, I want to be like Christ. I need to... I, I wish I had a different color. No. Christ-likeness doesn't mean that in our physical body we become a twin of Jesus. Christ-likeness means that in our hearts, in our character, the real us, that we have those same qualities that Jesus had in his life. Now, I've thought about this all week. You know, Christ, to be like Christ, to be like Jesus. What does that mean? And I could have made a list of 20 or 30 or more things of, of what Christ-likeness is. But I want to share with you four different qualities that Christ-likeness, there's a connection between holiness and happiness. Think of it this way. The holier you, the more you pursue holiness, the happier that you're going to be. It would have been interesting years and years ago when Jesus was on the earth, if we would have been living at that time, if we could have gone to Galilee and spent one week with Jesus and the 12 disciples and watched Jesus walk on water, feed the multitude, heal the sick, teach the Sermon on the Mount, all the things that Jesus did. If we could have eaten meals with Jesus and the 12 disciples, everywhere they went, we went. When they pitched their tent on the Mount of Olives, we pitched our tent on the Mount of Olives. And we, we slept right there in that same area at night. And we were together for a whole week. And at the end of that week, if we could have come back to Texas, of course, Texas wasn't here back then, so that wouldn't have been, but play like it would have been, that we would have lived. We could have come back here, and our friends and family would have said, what was it like to be with Jesus for a week? Oh, man. I've never seen anything like that. I mean, we would have described what he did. Healed people, walked on water, fed multitudes, gave a great sermon. Unbelievable. What about the Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, Nathaniel, all of them? I'm telling you what, those guys, they are committed to their cause. They, they committed to God. They are following him. It was just the most amazing experience. I think one of the things we would have said as we tried to describe to people in Texas what it was like to be in Israel with Jesus and with those disciples, I think we would have noticed something that you may never have thought about. And I never had until I read this, read this verse years ago. 
we would have noticed that Jesus was happier than the other disciples. Because notice what it says. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. In other words, because Jesus was living a holier life, Jesus was living a happier life, and he had the oil of gladness. Let me say this to everyone listening today in this room and at home. As children of God, we should be happy. David said in Psalm 4 in verse 7, you have placed gladness in my heart. Now, you know David wasn't perfect. Good night. We know his sins. And yet David was a man after God's own heart. It's not our sinlessness because none of us are sinless. It's our heart. And if our heart is bent toward God, if we are pursuing holiness, God is going to place an anointing on our lives. And that anointing is known as the anointing with the oil of gladness. And God wants us to be glad. And yet, how many truly happy people do you know? You say, John, are you always happy? No, I'm not. Sometimes I'm unhappy. Sometimes I have a bad day. We're human. But I'm saying this, in my own life, for, as a general rule, yes, I'm happy. Not every moment of every day. Not, I mean, things ruffle my feathers too. But as a general and our lives should be happy. And our lives should be filled with gladness. I heard about a man who loved God. And he wanted to be a more devoted servant of God. And so he did something very extreme. He became a monk and joined a monastery. Now, that's about as extreme as you can get, right? And when he did that, he took a vow of silence. And as part of his vow of silence, he could only speak two words a year. Two words a year. So there he is in the monastery, and the first year was over. And his supervisor called for him, and the supervisor said, You've been a good monk all year long. You haven't said a word, but now your time is up. Your first year is up, and you're allowed to speak two words. What would you like to say to me? And he said these two words, bed hard. (laughs) Supervisor said, that's fine. Go back to your quarters. We'll talk again next year. Twelve months went by. He came back. Supervisor said, you survived the second year. What would you like to say? You have two words. What would you like to say? He said, food bad. (laughs) Go back. They did it another year. He came back. Supervisor said, you have two words after your third year. What would you like to say? He said, room cold. I said, fine, go back and we'll talk again. At the end of the fourth year, he came back. Supervisor said, you've made it for four years. You've only spoken six words. He said, now you get two more words. What would you like to say? And the monk said, I quit. <laughs> Supervisor said, good. All you've done is complain since you've got here. <laughs> you know, I think God would say to some of us who are saved, all you've done is complain since you've got saved. Nothing's right with you. You're not happy. You're not glad. Friend, let me say that again. Nobody's always happy and nobody's always glad, myself included. But as a general rule, our lives should be characterized not by complaining, not by unhappiness, not by being in a bad mood. Our lives as a whole should be characterized by happiness, joy, and gladness. And that's what God wants to give us. And he said to Jesus, he said, therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And he'll do that for you if you pursue holiness with all of your life. Now, first word is holiness. God wants to make us like Jesus. Christ-likeness, holiness, happiness. Let me give you the third word, kindness. Ephesians 4.32 
Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so God wants us to be kind one to another. You know, one of the concerns that I have in, in the day in which we live is that kindness. I, I worry about this for the church globally. I, I certainly worry about this for the church nationally is that we seem to be replacing kindness and love in Christianity with militance and with meanness. I heard this morning on the radio when I first got up, they were saying that across America, many churches in urban areas are being closed. These churches don't have anybody coming to them anymore. And they're shutting the doors. They're having to rent out the facilities and... And uh, the churches are being closed. And the same thing is happening in America that 75 years ago happened in Europe. Maybe 50 years ago happened in Europe. Europe had all these huge churches and cathedrals that at one time were filled with men and women and young people. And they were praising God and they were studying the Bible. And yet, largely because of liberalism that infiltrated the universities and the seminaries and that liberalism caused preachers who had said under that to stand in the pulpit and when they preached they didn't have any power in what they said they preached about Noah but they said we don't know if Noah was real they preached about Adam but they said we don't know if there ever was really an Adam and Eve we don't know if garden the garden of Eden was a real place they preached about Jonah and they said now Jonah never really was swallowed by a well but there's a lesson for us to learn in this story and by the time they got finished saying everything wasn't real you're wondering if Jesus was even real and as I said in a sermon several weeks ago one of the things that emptied out the churches in Europe was liberal preaching. And yet what happened in America 75 years ago was that America, academia, in my estimation, envious of Europe and wanting to be scholarly and academic, began to bring into the colleges and bring into the universities this secular, liberal, believe-nothing theology that created a generation of people preaching who didn't believe anything, and they go preach it, and now the people they're preaching to, they don't know what to believe, and they don't believe anything, and so they said, well, we won't, what's the point of even going there if it, he doesn't even believe what he's saying? He doesn't know what he's saying. And as I said in that sermon, liberal preaching is one of the worst things that has ever happened to the church, and I, it is. There's no doubt about that, but you know, as I've thought about my comments on that day, I stand by them. I've just said the same thing again today. But you can't blame everything that's happened in churches on liberal preachers. Some of it is liberalism in the pulpit, no doubt. Some of it is complacency in the pew. Some of it in Europe and some of it across America is people saying, I'll go to church as long as I've got nothing else to do. As long as it doesn't interfere with my family plans, my ball game plans, my vacation plans, my golf plans, whatever it is, I, if I've got nothing else on the agenda, then I'll go to church. Well, I'll tell you how to empty out a church, have a liberal preacher, and have that type of complacency in the pews, and let that pass on two or three generations. Children will always do in excess what they saw their parents do in moderation, and if parents were moderately committed to Jesus, children will be committed to Jesus much less, parents have already excused it, and so the children, the next generation, will just take it to another level. What is, why are churches closing down? Liberal preaching in the pulpit, complacency in the pews, and I'll tell you why else. My, my opinion, my conviction, 
One of the reasons churches are struggling today in America is because the spirit of kindness and love has been replaced by a spirit of militance and meanness. And Christians now are becoming more known for taking our stand against things, which we should. We should stand against everything God is against. But even in standing against everything God is against, we have to stand against it in a spirit of love. Jesus said the way the unsaved world, the way the watching world will know that you are Christians, that faith is real, that I can change your life, is not the beauty of your building. It's not the orthodox of your preaching. It is when they see love in your heart. And in our day, militants in Christianity, meanness in Christianity has been legitimized. And the unsaved world is looking at that and listening to that. And they're saying, all you are is somebody who disagrees with, with me, and you're just as mean to me as I am to you. Only thing is we just disagree. We see the issue the same way, but we're both equally mean. We're both equally militant. But what they're saying in their hearts is, I don't want what you have because you don't have anything different than I have except a different opinion. I think about in the New Testament how people were killed. I think about Jesus, the ultimate example. Here Jesus, sinless, spotless, the Lamb of God, spat upon, beaten, up on that cross. They're laughing at him, nails through his hands and feet. They're mocking him. If you're the Son of God, come down. What would you have said if you would have been Jesus? Well, if I had, I would have been tempted to say, Father, send those angels and zap them dead right now. Not what Jesus said. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And those Roman soldiers looked at that and said, what is he saying? Father, forgive them. We've just, look, we've crucified him. He's praying. I think about Stephen, the first martyr of the church. We read about this in the book of Acts. He was stoned because of his faith in Jesus and his faithful witness of Jesus. And as those stones were being hurled at him, upside the head, in the chest, I mean, he's dying. What would you have said? I'd have said, God, this isn't right. Vengeance is yours. Take it on him now. What did Stephen say? He said, Father, don't hold them responsible for this sin. Don't, don't lay this sin to their account. Father, forget. he died like Jesus died. And the Bible says as he died, he had the face of an angel. What does that mean? Kindness, love. Even while being stoned, he's praying for his executioners. I think there are many Christians today who if they were being martyred for their faith, either by being stoned or by the guillotine, if they were being killed for their faith, their last words would believe, I'm not backing down for what I believe. And they would say it just like that. Well, you know what? If you're about to be killed, it's obvious you're not backing down. And good for you that you, we should never back down. I get that. But how different is it for Jesus and Stephen to say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what to do. And here we are in 2021. And our attitude is, I'm not backing down. And we might add after that, a curse be on you and your children for what you're doing. Kindness and love. Listen to me. It is never right to back down from your biblical conviction. I'm the first to say it and I believe it. But let me say this just as strongly. It is never right to operate in a spirit of meanness combativeness, and militance when the commander of our army has instructed us to walk in love.
That's what we need in the church today. You know, sometimes you'll see an angry group of people, and they're marching for their cause. And thank God that we can all peacefully protest, and we can march, and I'm not against any of that. But many times you'll see one of these things going on, and they have a cross lifted up. Well, let me tell you something. You marching in something, you, better, you lift a cross up, you better make sure that Jesus endorses whatever it is you're standing for. And the second thing I would say to that is, even more importantly than that, listen to this. We, Jesus doesn't march in our parade. We march in his. And we follow him. And our commander lived and he died with kindness and love. And so, in the heat, what is God doing? He's purifying us. Just like those impurities are burned off that gold, what is he doing? He's burning out of our lives all that combativeness. And he's saying, have your conviction, never back down. But have the face of an angel. Have kindness and love in your heart. Holiness, happiness, kindness. I could go on all day. I'll just mention one more, then we'll stop. Calmness. Here's Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. The boat tossed this way and that way. Water coming in. The disciples scared to death. And they're going to drown. Jesus in the back of the boat, sound asleep, not worried at all. Calmness. You know, one of the things he wants to replace, he wants, see, when the heat is turned up, Now the impurities can be seen. They're no longer hidden. They rise to the surface. And now we can see, wait, instead of holiness, I've been tolerating some sin. Instead of happiness and gladness, I've kind of been complaining and negative and miserable and poor pitiful me and the whole world's against me and and all this crazy thing. And, and, And instead of kindness, I've had combativeness. Instead of calmness, I've had nervousness. I've had anxiousness. I've had all this uneasiness, uptightness, stress. We've all had it. I've had it. I sometimes, but I, say, I just sense what I, God is doing in my life. I just have sensed in recent days that God is surfacing these negative emotions to the top and that God, by his loving hand, is skimming those things out of the way. Why? So that my faith can be free. Think about this. Our faith, it is possible For you to live free, let me say it again, doubt, worry, fear, anxiety, frustration, being overwhelmed, stressed out. It's too much. I can't do it. You're a child of God. God says, let me heat you up. Let me me expose this to you so I can skim it off the top. Sin. God said, got to get it out. Holiness. Unhappiness, misery, negativity. God says, what is this? Let's get that out. So I'm going to give you the, I want to anoint you with the oil of gladness. Meanness, militants, combativeness. I'll never back down. Well, good, but stand with kindness and love. God said, let me get, keep your conviction, but let's lose some of this. Let's lose some of this abrasiveness, and let's replace that with kindness and love. And then, how about let me get some of the nervousness out so your life can be characterized by kindness. Here, here's what I'm saying to you today. How much money would you give if all of that junk could be skimmed out of your life and you could live free of that? Well, most of us here today would say, all the money I have. To live like that, not just for a week, but for the rest of my life, to live like that, I want that more than anything. And God says, I want that more than anything for you too because your faith is more precious to me than gold that perishes. But the only way that I can get it out is to allow you to walk through the fire 
so that stuff can be surfaced, so that you can see it, so that we can deal with it, and so that you can move on, and so that you can say with Job, although I don't know what's happening in my life, I don't understand, where's God? Why has this happened? I can't figure it out. I'm looking for him. I'm looking for an answer, and I haven't found it. I don't know the way that I take, but he does. Job 23.10, he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Amen. Amen. Father, take this message and make it real in our lives. Be gentle with us, God, because we're a long way from Jesus. But I'm asking you to purify our faith and to purify our character. Remove from our lives everything that doesn't belong and make us more like Jesus than we've ever been before. With your head bowed and eyes closed today, you have listened very attentively, very patiently, very kindly. What part of that message spoke to you today? What area of your life What part of you has come to the surface in this last few minutes that would cause you to say, I've got to deal with that? God's trying to remove that out of my life, but I've got to cooperate. That's why I call this sermon, The Problem and Possible Upside of Human Suffering. There is a a, a possible upside, but it's not a guaranteed upside. You have to cooperate with God. And you have to say, God, I want to give these things to you. These emotions, these negative emotions, I want to give it to you. These wrong attitudes, I want to give it to you. This behavior, God, I give it to you. These thoughts, I give it to you. God, I'll give you anything you want. So that I could live a life with no worry and no fear and no anxiety. No bitterness. No unforgiveness. No grudges. No complaining. No blaming God. No blaming somebody else. No negativity. No meanness. No abrasiveness. No militance. No, God, I I want it out. God, I want to experience the peace, the gladness, the joy, the holiness, the happiness, the kindness, the calmness, the love that Jesus had when he was on this earth, when he had received that anointing, that oil of gladness that made him happier than all of his companions. God, make us happier than ours. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you don't know for certain that Jesus Christ is living in your heart, you've not come to a perfect church, but I'll tell you what you've come to today. You've come to a Bible-believing church. We believe the Bible is the inerrant, perfect Word of God from beginning to end. You've come to a church that preaches Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven. And today, you've come to a church that will tell you plainly that if you'll repent of your sins, ask Christ to save you, and trust Christ to do it, that you can be saved right here and right now. Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. I trust you, Jesus. Begin now to make me the person you want me to be. Burn out everything that doesn't belong in my life and make me a fruitful 
happy, victorious, overcoming child of God. Amen. For those of you who have just prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please let us know about your new life in Christ by sending us an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. If you are a new believer in Jesus, we encourage you to get plugged into a strong Bible-believing church in your area and to tell your friends and family about how Jesus has changed your life. John's booklet, How to Be a Happy Christian, is a great companion study to go along with his message today. You can find it under the booklets tab on our website. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.